Um, and another comment was that if you expect to be bored you in will? a college, you will be bored. Life is about mindset. <laughs> yes. Very good. We are the Mindset Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Stay entertained, folks. Oh, yes. Please listen to us with the expectation of being entertained. We should have led with that. <laughs> we should have led with that. <laughs> That's going to make it to the, like, the, the intro. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the 64th episode of the Struggling Scientist Podcast. We are a podcast by scientists, for scientists, anyone size adjacent, and perhaps even hobbyists. My name is Susanna, and I'm here with my co-host, Jaron. Hi. On the 14th of September, the Ig Nobel Prizes were announced. For science that first makes you laugh and then think. And like every year, we want to go through the funniest ones with you. It was difficult to choose since they were all amazing, but we each chose our three favorites and cannot wait to tell you about them. So let's start! So the 33rd first annual Ig Nobel Prize ceremony was an interesting watch. Uh, like every year it has a team and this year it was water. Which resulted in us seeing professors sink in boats, opera about H2O2 and how it flows. Um, and like every year, it's a parody of the Nobel Prize ceremony. And they take the parody all the way, including gifting the winners a $10 trillion bill from Zimbabwe, which um, is worth about 40 cents in US dollar. And the prizes were, were actually awarded by real Nobel laureates. Um, and there were 10 of them. Yes. If you like this episode, you can follow us or leave us a rating on your favorite podcast listening platform. This really helps us out and makes this podcast possible. Yes. In this episode, we're going to each explain um, the topics of our three favorite winners one by one. Uh, and I cannot wait to get started. So the first one is the Ig Nobel Prize for Chemistry and Geology. Uh, and it went to, drumroll... Explaining why many scientists like to lick rocks. Uh, so this prize went to only one author, Jan Zalasiewicz from Poland and UK. And the title was Eating Phosphals. Interestingly, this was not a paper, but an essay or a regular column in the Paleontological Association's newsletter. This essay describes why in the field many geologists like to lick rocks. And the conclusion seems to be that you can see much more detail on the surface of a wet rock with a hand lens than on a dry one because it shows the mineral particles better. And for many geologists, this has turned into so much of a habit that they don't even think about it anymore. However, even before modern tools such as hand lenses existed, rock licking was already a trusted tool to identify rocks. And in the 17th century, Giovanni Arduino already described the taste of rocks as a way to identify them. He referred to burnt coal as bitter and urinous with a sweet aftertaste and he sometimes even cooked or burnt rocks before tasting them. So even though modern-day geologists don't rely on their sense of taste anymore to identify rocks, they still tend to lick them for better analysis. Of course. Of wouldn't. course. I, I don't think they're doing it for the analysis anymore. I think they actually enjoy it. Yeah, well, also the thing that stood out to me the most about this whole story was that it was not a paper, mm. but a newsletter article. And apparently you can win an ignoble with that. Who knew? Yeah, we, we, who knows? We might, we might still be able to get in. <laughs> okay, so the author actually said, I was a little bemused at winning the prize, but it's nice that the ignoble community liked the story. And it's kind of fun not to have to take science seriously all the time. For sure. Which, uh, is a good way to take this prize, I would say. No, for sure. I mean, that... I think that indeed what he said, like, it takes some of the burden off of, like, the science, right? Like, not everything needs to be 
yeah nature paper quality just and like... i think also that was the whole goal of this column anyway mm. because uh it is actually for the entertainment of tired and harassed paleontologist paleontologist colleagues yeah so anything else that really stood out to you from this uh oh yes i actually read that it's also very good to um distinguish the licking is very good yeah. to distinguish between a, a rock and a fossil um, because a fossil actually sticks to your tongue and a rock does not. That's good if we ever encounter a fossil, I guess. Yes. <laughs> For sure. I feel like we no longer really need to lick. I think we can maybe do with microscopes or, you know. Apparently, even if you're an expert, you still need to lick. Need is a strong word. <laughs> it becomes automatic. Yeah. <laughs> I like that the line of questioning during the interviews was about like, well, paleontologists lick, but do chemists? <laughs> and so, yeah. I hope not. Yeah. I feel like the chemists might encounter things that um, will cease to make them chemists at a certain point. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Sulfuric acid or something. Who knows? Yes. Okay. Well, nice. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to the next one. Jaron, which one did you like the most? So the next prize is the literature prize. This was for the study, duh, duh, duh. The induction of jamais vu in the laboratory, word alienation and semantic situation. Okay. So you're probably familiar with the experience of deja vu, where you are in a new situation, but it feels as though you've experienced it before. The opposite of that is jamais vu, which refers to a feeling of unfamiliarity concerning something we have seen or experienced before. Usually a word, but sometimes also people or places. So the researchers had... Participants repeatedly copy words until they felt peculiar, uh, had completed the task, or had another reason for stopping. Participants reported feeling peculiar ab after about 30 repetitions of the word or after one minute. And this was after repeating the word duh. <laughs> duh. 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 And what's interesting about this is also that the, the authors who accepted the prize uh, also filmed themselves saying the word duh in many different circumstances, like walking around with your kid, visiting a famous painting, all those moments, like waking up from bed. Mm. Yeah. There are definitely some words that I would have it way sooner than mm. 30, especially like in English, of course. Yeah. Like words like struggling, struggling, mm. struggling, struggling, already becomes weird after just four times. <laughs> mm. Yeah, maybe the length of the word or the mm. difficulty of the word adds uh, makes it much more easy to, yes. to reach that point. But I had never heard about Jemavu before, so that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's apparently known that it's often a symptom associated with epilepsy and migraines. Didn't know that either, oh, which yeah. I guess makes sense, right? I mean, if like if the things that you're supposed to know you don't know anymore, maybe I would sooner have guessed dementia though, but mm. Mm. or Alzheimer's or something like that. Uh, and it's also known that people who experience deja vu often or more frequently also experience jamais vu more frequently as well. So I guess maybe more epilepsy and migraines happening there, maybe. Mm -hmm. Oh, yay. So, um, yeah, um, not much more I have to add to that. Uh, it's also just suggested that uh, you could have this with people and places as well. Mm. The wondering what what kind of study how you would have to do a study like that to to test it on people mm -hmm. but uh yeah. that's why the word went with the words <laughs> yeah the simple word like that because i think they also published a paper before this to to that just looked at you can sort of get that feeling from da already but hmm. so yeah no but definitely interesting research and they definitely uh uh 
how should I say this? They took it uh, very, very jovi- jovishly, like they were very happy to receive it. And, you know, it's the Nobel Prize. It's just fun. Yes, for sure. And it gives also a lot of exposure to your research. So it's definitely not a bad award to get. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One last thing. The authors who accepted the, the, reward, uh, the award also said, like, we've all experienced that feeling of writing something in the middle of the night for our paper that uh, we think is absolutely brilliant and then waking up the next day and thinking it's rubbish. Apparently, that's also Shamevu. Ah, okay. <laughs> At least according to the author, so, yeah. Uh, I always forget to write it down and then feel like I've forgotten the most important thing ever, but usually that's not the case. No, same. I always just think, like, it's pro- it was probably rubbish anyways. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, that was that paper. Uh, what to, what to... Okay. Well... The next one is the Ig Nobel Prize for Mechanical Engineering, and it went to reanimating dead spiders to use mechanical gripping tools. Of course. And this lovely dead spider paper was written by a team from India, China, Malaysia, and the USA. So it all started when they found a dead curled up spider in their lab and saw that the natural state of the spider labs was closed in a grip-like state. Uh, And now a spider doesn't use bones to move, but pressure. And the pressure in its limbs determine if they open or close. And these scientists decided to play around with a dead spider and to recreate this by using a needle to add air uh, pressure to the legs and open them and then release the pressure to close them again. Just like a robot! And this field of study using dead animals as robots is now called macrobotics. And it turns out that these spiders can actually grip and hold objects of 130% of their own mass and also of various inconsistent shapes. And the authors say that this can be useful in handheld devices and also camouflages really well into nature, which will give me nightmares for years to come. Great stuff. Yes, I was already horrified when we talked about this the first time in in science news. Mm -hmm. And now it's back and it's haunting me. Now it's an awarded study. (laughs) No, it's an awarded study, yes. Um, acknowledged by Nobel laureates. Oh, yes. The authors actually said that we follow every year's Ig Nobel Prize to see the creative and thought-provoking work they highlight, and several of our science role models have won the, in the past, so we were incredible, inc- incredibly excited to receive this honor and join their ranks. Mm. Interesting people, these dead spider people. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I thought they were MIT students or something like that. Uh, Not quite sure. Mm. They do also in their paper mention that if you let a robot go through through enough evolutions Mm -hmm. in a computer program that simulates the best robot for walking, for example, Mm -hmm. that it always starts to look like some existing animal, like a snake or like a dolphin or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really not that weird to go for uh, a model that is already like an animal and just use that. They also compared it to wearing skin of dead animals to wear as clothes um not the first thing that would come to my mind but sure i get it once you said it (laughs) (laughs) i feel like they have been asked a lot of questions before and they have found some ways to uh who hurt you (laughs) (laughs) and now i'm just wondering like how because i believe they also said something like this is like you know sustainable use of like you know dead animals Mm, basically it's biodegradable No, for sure. But I'm wondering, like, how long can you keep using a dead spider as a robot, right? I mean, like, if you make claw robot things, you know you've got a few years. But, like, a decomposing spider, Mm. how long? Yeah, indeed. So, yeah. 
and how many spiders died for these experiments. Yeah, do you always have, like, how can you keep it a spare? Do you freeze it and, like, take it out of the freezer and, like, add a new one? Uh, it's also not a tiny spider. They used, like, really big wolf spiders for mm. this, uh, this these experiments. Yeah. But I guess it worked, and I got a paper out of it, and now an Ig Nobel Prize, so congratulations to them. No, for sure. So many questions, though. Now I don't, like now, yeah, well, do all spiders have this? Like the, the leg pressure thing? Like yes. It's, oh, okay. That's just a inherent thing of spiders. Yes. Cool to know. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I used to say that a dead spider is better than a living spider, but now, now I'm not sure anymore. Well, you don't know who's controlling it, so. <laughs> <laughs> At least you know the, the living spider would probably run away from you or something, you know? Mm-hmm. I guess at least it cannot make webs. Yet. I don't, I don't think the, the web part is the worst part of a spider. Until you walk into it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, next one. Sharon, tell us. So the next prize is the Public Health Prize awarded to Sung Ming Park for inventing the Stanford Toilet, a device that uses a variety of technologies, including a urine test strip, a computer vision system for poop analysis, and an anal print sensor paired with an identification camera and a telecommunica telecommunications link to monitor and quickly analyze the substances that humans excrete. The smart toilet is equipped with hardware and software that analyzes both a person's urine and stool using deep learning uh, with comparable performance to that of a trained medical, per trained medical personnel. And users of the toilet can be identified both by their finger and anal print which does raise privacy concerns. However, the toilet may be very useful in the screening, diagnosis, and monitoring of specific patient populations. Ta-da! Um, I'm <laughs> not smart... sure where to go from here in this podcast episode. <laughs> the toilet of the future, it's here. I kind of feel bad for the computer inside of the toilet. I'm wondering, like, who is going to clean the camera? Um <laughs> I, it's, it's, I'm happy that to a certain extent it's AI that's analyzing the thing and sort of like, you know... Yeah, but it, this poor AI! It doesn't know any better. It just needs to like poop good, poop bad. <laughs> I assume they put the camera I in a place... I am the kind of person that says thank you to ChatGPT. I, I feel bad for this AI, okay? It's a dirty job, but someone's <laughs> got to do it, apparently. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay. So, so privacy concerns are plenty. <laughs> uh-huh. If if you were never worried about your anal print being taken from you, now you should I be. I wasn't before. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a thing, but now I have concerns. So 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 is this like a fingerprint like really different for everybody? Yes, apparently uh, I've been told. <laughs> I'm also just learning about this for the first time. Interesting. That interesting. our all our buttholes are unique. <laughs> Makes a certain type of sense. No, for sure. Um, <laughs> at the same time, I just like, what? <laughs> How? Why did I not know this sooner? But at the same time, why would I? Mm. And how did someone else find out about this? So are they going to sell this toilet? Um, unclear yet. Uh, okay. it, I mean, I think this was still very much the prototype and it does have like, you know, a lot of potential in terms of like screening and diagnosis and, you know, Patients could potentially just go home and you can monitor stuff for, from them using the, the toilet. It's unclear to me whether the toilet is like really a giant setup situation, like it's the full toilet, or it's just like you hook cameras and test strips and stuff like that to basically like the toilet seed. Uh, and you can just put it on any other toilet, like a normal toilet. As I were. think 
I saw a picture gone by with a full toilet. toilet. Okay, so that's going to be a more expensive toilet. Like this yes. is like uh, that's why it's a stand for toilet. Yeah, this is going to be the eye toilet. Uh, <laughs> just uh, I hope it has seat warming and everything. Uh, you might have to wait a few uh, updates <laughs> or uh, upgrades for that. <laughs> I do have to say though, apparently it's currently built only like the urine testing is built for males. Uh, of course, not women so far. But it could be set up with an extendable wand holding a urinalysis stri uh, strip for women to be on. So, but you have to pay extra for that, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it didn't sound good to begin with, and I'm I'm not getting any more convinced. I'm sure if you slap an Apple logo on it or something, it'll sell like hotcakes. Mm. You'll have to pay extra for like the cleaning wipes for like the camera. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think it's time to move on. <laughs> I think so too. Okay. Surprise me. So we're already at my last one. We're going through this so quickly. It's the Nobel Prize for Nutrition and it went to experiment to determine how electrified chopsticks and drinking straws can change the taste of food. And this research was done by Hiromi Nakamura and Homai Mayashita from Japan. And the research was based on a previously established understanding that when a weak electric current flows through your tongue, you taste an electric taste, like when you lick a battery. Now, these researchers wanted to see if this would add a unique flavor to food. Uh, so they made electric straws and chopsticks that are connected to a mini computer on the wrist. And the device uses a weak electrical current to transmit sodium ions from the fruit through the chopsticks to the mouth, where a sense of saltiness is created. Uh, it turns out that they can enhance saltiness of food by 1.5 times, uh, which might provide health benefits for people who need to eat low salt. The researchers also mentioned that as a next step, they plan to use artificial intelligence technology to explore new food experiences, such as creating dishes depicted in manga. I am... I have questions. <laughs> Did you never lick a battery? First off, no. <laughs> no. Which battery? What size? I have questions. I would do a, like just a, just a normal standard size. Duracell or not? Are we sponsored? <laughs> <laughs> we are not. <laughs> <laughs> not sponsored by Duracell. We should be. <laughs> Go lick batteries now. Mm. <laughs> no. Um, so the researcher said that uh, I'm really grateful that the light has been shed on the research we have been doing for 13 years. 2011 paper prompted related studies all over the world. And I'm glad that the paper, which marked the beginning of our research, has been appreciated, Nakamura said. So they are happy. And they have been doing this for 13 years. To get a difference in saltiness? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, that that is not nothing, but okay. No, for sure, but... 50% more saltiness, yeah. Yeah. At the same time, I'm wondering, like, if, because your tongue has, like, sort of different regions, I guess. I don't know how accurate this is. Ah, I don't know about with salt. Yeah, no, exactly. I don't know either. Like, if you sort of do it on different parts of, like, your tongue, would you slightly taste something different? But not sure. I don't know. But the impression I got is that the electric current helped the mm. salt ions to get to the tongue. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, um, They also said that they actually, in the in the original paper... Um, they bemoan the fact that we only have taste buds on our tongue 
and are not like catfish who have taste buds all over the surface of their body. I'm good with that. Making it a swimming tongue. Yeah. And their solution, obviously, was to augment our sense of taste with electrostimulation, producing a sour or metallic electric taste. Good stuff. Lovely. I feel like the easy follow-up question from like any reviewer is like, but forks, spoons, knives, what, what about those? <laughs> like, are those coming up down the pipeline too? Because now we only had straws and chopsticks apparently. Yes. We are very excited to be able to introduce you to our new sponsor, Jenny AI. Not only does Jenny make our podcast possible, it also makes our life as scientists so much easier. Jenny is an all-in-one writing assistant that has everything that we have been missing in our AI tools. Yes, first off, unlike other AI tools, it actually finds accurate information in papers and cites its sources. It does not make things up and only uses real verified information that you can then also check the source of. Second, it's a writing assistant trained for academic papers and helps you write your paper by suggesting the next sentence or the end of your sentence. Or, if you get really stuck, you can ask it to write an entire paragraph, completely removing the writer's block I so often struggle with when I don't know the right words to make my point. It helped me write an introduction to a paper I've been struggling with in half an hour. It even suggests which papers to cite. You can add your own library or search the entire internet for papers. Just type the add symbol to easily add a reference and it gets automatically added to the reference list. And the last thing we absolutely love is that it has an AI chatbot that can see your document and give feedback on how to improve your manuscript. Or you can ask it questions, such as what are the potential therapeutic benefits of dot dot dot, and it will search through the papers for you for the answer. I can only say that my stress level has gone down significantly since I started using Jenny. Check out the free version now at thestrugglingscientist.com slash Jenny. And if you love it, use the code SCIENCE20 for a 20% discount. Yeah. Uh, they also uh, say that the wristband will actually contain um, an adaptable amount of electric current so mm -hmm. that you can just crank it up to whatever suits your, suits your style. I and then the goal of the system is to obtain a new longer of a layer of tongue that can detect tastes that we cannot and we could not perceive previously. I feel like they've been they've been reading too much mango. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the problem. Yes. One punch, man. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. Okay. That's the thing. Um, spicy. <laughs> spicy hot takes. I mean, if they could make it spicy, I would get one for you. True. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Okay. I don't think I would buy it for just saltiness. But you don't need to eat low salt, so. That we know of. True. Let's uh, move on to the next one. The last one already, right? Yes, I think so. Okay, tell me about it. The Psychology Prize was awarded to Stanley Milgram, Leonard Bickman, and Lawrence Berkowitz for experiments on a city street to see how many passersby stop to look upward when they see strangers looking upward. This study was published in 1969, and only one of the researchers is still alive to accept the Ig Nobel Prize. In the study, they experimented with different crowd sizes, ranging from 1 to 15, who would look up in a busy New York City street and then the researchers would measure how many of the roughly 1,400 pedestrians walking on the street would look, in, would look in response to the crowd. It turns out that the bigger the crowd, the more people would look up. That makes a certain amount of sense. But a paper from 1969, yeah. Okay. And it gets even more interesting. So um, uh, 
out of those three authors, the more famous one is Stanley Milgram. Mm -hmm. uh, he's famous for two different experiments. Um, well, I'm not really sure if one of them is the experiment, but he's famous for you. Have you you've heard of like the six degrees of separation, like that you could look up, uh, like you via six people you could basically connect mm -hmm. to someone else. Uh, he's famous for that. He's apparently ah. the person who came up with that, and he's also famous for another experiment, the obedience to authority experiment, I believe it's called, which is uh, that that they had two groups of people where they. Well, under like the guise of authority that you could tell someone to shock someone else, like go really high in terms of like the amount of electrical current and they would just follow through on it just because there's someone with authority telling them to do so. So yeah, apparently there's some yeah famous, famous author involved with this paper as well. And he didn't win any Nobel with the other ones? Well, no, he's dead. He died in like 1980. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but the, his student, Leonard Bickman, uh, one of the two students, who's, the one who's still alive, accepted the award for the entire group. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Uh, the authors also mention, or at least Leonard Bickman, I guess. Uh, no, technically the authors in the paper from 1969 mentioned that in their case with the study, they had a really boring stimulus. It was just like some sort of signal from like on the sixth floor of a building in New York. But they were thinking that Perhaps with a different stimulus, like, I don't know, people doing acrobatics or something like that. In, oh, there uh, was actually something to look at. Yeah, yeah. So, like, there was a signal coming from, like, the, the well, up high from, like, the, the buildings in New York to, like, at least the 1 to 15 people that are, like, the, the place there for the experiment uh, to start looking up, right? And then, like, they would measure how many of the 1,400-ish people who were just there on the city street would look up in, in addition to that. But they're, oh, they're, there's I the thought they were actually looking at nothing and then seeing how many people would also follow them. No, there there was an initial signal thing uh, okay. for them to look at. Okay, okay. But the others thought like, okay, maybe if we did something else that's a bit more visually stimulating, like people doing acrobatics or something like that, people would I stay... Mean, I think if you can make sure that people keep looking mm -hmm. up, then, no, exactly. then that, other people will be more likely to also... Um, no, exactly. Join. So you can basically make the crowd bigger and then keep making it bigger, like it keeps perpetuating like that up to a limit. Or as people like walk up and like walk by and keep looking but walk away anyway so no so uh definitely interesting and honestly i thought the most interesting thing about this was the fact about like the author with all those other different things as well so yeah oh nice yeah uh well those were our favorite ones maybe we can also just quickly mention which other ones we had so there was the measuring the extent to which ocean water mixing is affected by the sexual activity of anchovies. That was a uh, yes. very fun one too. Uh, very complex one. Uh, not very familiar with nature geoscience necessarily to, enough mm. to go into depth about that, but very interesting for sure. And then we had communicate the communication prize, which um, was for studying mental activities of people who are expert at speaking backwards. Very interesting also. Yeah. Um, turns out that people who speak backward have very flexible brains. Um, and there was a medicine prize who went to using cadavers to explore whether there is an equal number of nose hairs in each person's two nostrils. And I think the conclusion was that there was a slight difference, but it was but not, not significant. significant. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I think, I'm not sure, I think this is the last one, but uh, it's the education prize for method methodically studying the boredom of teachers and students yes and it turns out that the border the teacher is the border are also the students um and mm. another comment was that if you expect to be bored 
you in will. a college, you will be bored. So there you go. The end conclusion. <laughs> I, I I believe that has to hold up to a certain point. <laughs> <laughs> so like even I think even if you're expecting to to be entertained at a certain point, things can just be boring. attitude is everything. Life is about mindset. Yes. Very good. We are the mindset podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Stay entertained, folks. Oh yes. Please listen to us with the expectation of being entertained. We should have led with that. <laughs> we should have led with that. That's gonna make it to the, like the, the intro. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh well if you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, you can reach out to us via our website, thestrongestscientist.com. You can also check out our website for some really cool science-inspired merch and to sign up for our awesome journal of the struggling scientist, aka our newsletter. And if you have enjoyed this episode, then leave us a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or YouTube as it helps us grow. Uh, and we would love that, of course. And you can also follow us on social media, general which ones are those again? Twitter slash X right now, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook and YouTube. Let's hope Twitter one day goes back to being Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope to see you all again next time. Bye. Bye.